and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Buckelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 527. That's right. Um, what are we talking about tonight? Is there a unifying theme? It, it almost was simply trailers, but then it's... So it, it's... I don't know. It, Live it's, action content. Yeah, I guess I guess if you want to s- swim down that river, I guess that's what it, that's what it really is. Uh, so we have... Help, couple of movie trailers to talk about uh one we actually were probably planning on talking about a while ago, not a while ago but at least a couple of weeks ago and then it fell by the wayside a little bit or else we probably could have thrown it in last week and one's brand new and then we're going to talk about the loki trailer which leads us into our secret invasion talk and sorry corwin i know you and i talked for me i think we did the flash episode about maybe doing a whole episode on secret invasion, but since I don't think, I don't think anybody would have wanted that as it turned out that Chad and I just decided to handle it in a, in a segment, but uh, feel free to leave us a voicemail on it. Nonetheless. <laughs> All right. What are we starting with? Let's do, let's do the Napoleon trailer first. This was interesting for me because if, if I would have known, if I would have known back when we were doing the, I think, setting up the preview episode the movie preview top five episode uh making our lists that if i knew this was actually 100 percent going to get a theatrical release i probably would have put it in my top five just because napoleon and napoleonic history is my thing it's my jam but at the time i don't think it was 100 set in stone that it was going to i think i think it was i think it was leaning in that direction because i think thanks to uh glass onion people kind of these people saw the success in that when netflix released the knives out sequel that i think people even for a limited engagement for a couple of weeks people thought why not i mean get you're getting additional money out of it the question is how much you have to spend spend to promote it is it worth what you might get in return but yeah the, the napoleon thing was always as a concept it was up my alley ridley scott we know can be a little hit or miss when it comes to historical epic, sometimes he goes way off the beaten path as far as accuracy. And that does concern me a little in this movie. Uh, but we'll talk about some of the specifics first. What, what did, what did you think about the trailer? At least as a trailer. I mean, it looks good. Um, more violent than I expected, which is strange because given Napoleon's history, uh, not that I'm a big student of history, um, but you know, Napoleon's one of those names you can't help but recognize and remember. But uh um yeah, I think some dude literally got blown apart by a cannon in the background. There's definitely blood splatter after a cannon fire, so someone got hit by a cannonball in the trailer. 
it's uh, I, I was thinking when I saw it, I was like, I don't think I remember the last thing I saw um, Joaquin Phoenix in uh, for a long time. I mean, it's I, I, my mind wants to say walk the line, but I, I had to have seen him in something else before then. So Joker. Oh, yeah, that's right. Totally forgot. Man, I I I need to rewatch the Joker. I have or Joker. I haven't seen it in so long. But yeah, um, no, it was it was definitely interesting. I uh, I don't know if it makes me want to go see it or not. I think it'll have to be some more trailers or something. Um, I'm not typically pulled in by historical type stuff. Uh, I mean, I I say that I'm I'm curious about the Oppenheimer film. I guess it's it's only historical stuff that personally already interests me um that pulls me in and napoleon isn't necessarily one of those one of those uh, moments in history uh and you know my familiarity with uh you know learning or knowing anything about napoleon in film uh starts and ends at bill and ted's excellent adventure so uh, <laughs> God I'm help pretty, us! <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that doesn't count. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> but no, it looked, it, it looked, it looked, uh, it looked really well done. Uh, and yeah, you, you know, your your observation about Ridley Scott is interesting. I think my, f- I this is this is obviously not. Um, uh, I'm not a student of Ridley Scott. I don't uh, haven't seen a lot of his movies. Um, so take this with a hefty grain of salt. I think my favorite movie of his, at least in recent years, is The Martian, because I will put that movie on again and again and again and again. Um, and uh, it's it's a good background movie. It's a good, you know, uh, oh, you know what? I want to take a break between chores. I'm going to sit down and watch this for about another 20, 30 minutes and then get up and move around again. Uh, or a good just sit down and watch it all the way through a movie. I really do enjoy The Martian. So obviously this is a great departure from that. So. Ridley, Ridley Scott can be hit or miss. I mean, even bad, I think even bad Ridley Scott tends to be, you know, it tends to be entertaining, I think. So it's, but, and I think Joaquin Phoenix can do a good job here. I think I, my major concerns about this is that we don't know how it, we don't know what the narrative structure is going to be, but based on everything we see in the trailer, there looks like they're doing all of Napoleon's life, which I guess if you're making one, I guess in a way, unless you're doing something on a on a streaming platform, you you almost have no choice because you can't make a multi-part epic in case the first part doesn't do well, because then you'll never get the second part. But it concerns me trying to to squeeze everything of Napoleon's history from French Revolution all through Waterloo all into one movie. And, of course, also the fact that Joaquin Phoenix is way, way, way too old to be playing a young Napoleon playing because he's kind of he's right around the age Napoleon was when he died. So he's way, way, way too old to be playing Napoleon in, in the 1790s and the early eight in the early 1800s. Um, so that that is that's a concern. That's a concern that I have. I'm very interested in it. I hope it's good. I also hope. I don't I don't think Ridley Scott would do do the movie to try to do like a chop job. I know it, it seems like more people are concerned that it, that it's going to be more eating up the Napole- like Napoleonic propaganda as in his his own propaganda, not propaganda against him. Like me, like like the myth that he was short when he wasn't short, but things like that, that 
the trailer, I think, probably feeds more into the idea that maybe that this is just going to be, you know, when you have the truth, the truth and the legend, print the legend, you know. <laughs> but I want to see it. I think I'm looking forward to it. I hope I hope it's good. The it'd be nice to if at least some of the battles, it looks like some of the battle scenes look like they're real as opposed to all CGI. Obviously, the masses, anything big is probably guaranteed to be CGI. Which is why, if you really want to see a cool Napoleonic movie, go see the, I think the nineteen, I think it was nineteen seventy. Go see the nineteen seventy Waterloo movie with Rod Steiger as Napoleon and Christopher Plummer as Wellington, because that movie was made all with real so, m- members of the Soviet army, as a matter of fact. But all, but all those soldiers you see fighting in all those battles and getting to the end with Waterloo and all those thousands of troops in or in formation and stuff. That's all real practical stuff that we'll probably ne- would never see again these days but it's up my alley i'm looking forward to it i thought the trailer i thought the trailer was interesting i don't necessarily know like kind of like what you said i don't know if it'll move the needle for people that are neutral on it it may intrigue some people and if you're a ridley scott fan obviously it would intrigue you a little no matter what if you're like joaquin phoenix i guess it would make you i just don't know if you're like neutral on all of that. I don't know if that's enough of a trailer by itself to say, hmm, yeah, I'm curious about it. Yeah, um, I've heard a lot of people. Uh, uh, I think something cropped up in the news the other day about it being, you know, obviously supposed to be relationship based and something about a slap or something. I don't know. Um, you know, this is one of the things you see scrolling around on Twitter. Um, but yeah, it, it, it the trailer is not bad. It's definitely I'm curious but of what I've seen thus far, I'm not yeah, like, you know what, I'm going to go out of my way to go see this. You know what I mean? So, no, I can I can definitely I can definitely see that. Of the two movie trailers we're talking about, I, 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 I don't ironically, I don't think that was the best one, the best, the best trailer. <laughs> it may be the most artistic trailer, but I don't think it was a I don't think it's the most effective trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads us to. It's kind of funny because up until about two weeks ago, you know, that I was really getting concerned about when the hell we were going to see a trailer for Saw 10 or Saw X, whichever the official, however they're actually going to say it, because we knew it was supposed to be out this year because it was in my top five list. But we were also creeping up to the fall real soon and we hadn't even gotten a teaser trailer for it. But then when Comic-Con came out, which is one of the because I would have mentioned this last week, but it slipped my mind, but it was kind of appropriate that they actually released like the first the first still from it and they they released the synopsis for for Saw 10 and I think they showed some footage at Comic-Con they just it just wasn't leaked. So Saw 10 they did drop the trailer as we're recording this they re- dropped it like Saturday night which was still July when they dropped it which made sense they said they were going to drop it the weekend of the 28th and they did. So for those who care of course this movie takes this is something unique, really, in the sense that it's a, it looks like it's going to be a pure prequel. It's not going to be a sequel, prequel combination. It doesn't look like it's going to be just a sequel with flashbacks, which a lot of the final Saw movies, like four through final chapter slash 3D, were because John Kramer was already dead. Spoiler alert. So they had no choice. But in order to keep Tobin Bell in the series, you have to keep going back and kind of retconning things and lifting the veil and showing you things you never saw before. This movie fits squarely in continuity between Saw 1 and Saw 2. 
And it actually picks up on something people have pointed out accurately that in Saw 6, a big a big plot point was with him trying to get get approval to go for experimental treatment that the company was based in Norway or whatever. And that's where if you see the the, if you pause it on when they're talking and when they show the doctor's face that I guess the clinic that was founded, which I'm guessing was maybe by your father. Uh, that it was based out of Norway, even though the treatment they're doing for him in the movie is in Mexico City, but the company originated in the in the in Norway. So this seemingly is that treatment he was trying to seek that he was denied in Saw Six. Except we find out that maybe they weren't so wrong to deny it because it's a big it's, it's a big scam. <laughs> Thus setting setting the stage for all the people who have participated in not just scamming John Kramer, but but based on what you see on the board, many other people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars that this is that doesn't really sit well on many levels with John Kramer. So that's basically the synopsis of the movie. But I thought even as a trailer, I thought I thought the trailer was pretty brilliant, actually, just as a trailer. <laughs> but yeah, you- it- it was it was interesting. It's just you know uh, when it comes to Saw, uh, I just I, I'm not a fan of um, of gore. Uh, I I don't I don't like it. And some could argue that Saw is less gory than traditional gore horror films. But uh, for me, I consider it still gore. It's obviously interesting to see the John Kramer character, you know, uh, just you know in and of himself. Uh, and, and see his uh, kind of MacGyvering of all of this, uh, all of these traps and everything. I think that's always been the most interesting part of Saw is John Kramer himself and his uh, his ideas and coming up with the traps and, and all this stuff. Um, but uh, seeing the traps executed has always been enough of a turnoff to me to <laughs> stay away from the franchise. Um, I think it's these the, the the individuals that he's torturing here are the ones who are actually supposed to be not not just like putting forth uh, the option of the trials and all that stuff, but also the medical team who is behind it. Right. Yes. It's everybody who's involved in that clinic or whatever it is that are right. actively actively participating in scamming dying people out of their money and john kramer just happened so, to be one of them <laughs> so so even though it's a scam presumably some of these uh people who are being being tortured or whatever are are uh have medical expertise well, um, i th- i think that i i would agree with you that at least some do i think there may be, and i could be wrong it's something that i think i heard and it doesn't mean that it's true that there may be a plot point that that maybe some of the Maybe like the guy in the brain trap, the guy in the trap yeah. when he has to, that that he that he may not actually be what he claimed to be, which is why doing that yeah. kind of test is going to be mu- that that game is much more of a challenge for him because of the fact that he really doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because specifically the idea that you're supposed to cut into your head, your own head and pull out cerebral tissue enough to spring the trap or whatever. And he does this by cutting straight into the top of his head. I was like, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how correct the other, um, you know, films or TV shows I've seen, uh, you know, talking about, uh, any sort of brain related procedure, but I don't think like, I, I don't know much about any of that, obviously, but I would think the top of the brain's not where you want to start for that. 
um i think i think uh there's some some delicate tissue up there obviously all of your cerebral tissue is delicate um but i thought that was that that was an interesting thing but yeah i i saw enough blood and gore in the trailer itself to set me for this um uh if if there was a way to get the saw series but cut in a way where i didn't have to see that i could just see like the interpersonal relationships, the way John Kramer's mind works, you know, like all that stuff. I'd probably watch like that cut of, of saw movies and, and skip the gore. Um, but, um, something tells me that, uh, it would be almost impossible to do because it, it saw ha- can't have lasted this long in my mind. Saw couldn't have lasted this long as a franchise, if the gore scenes could be wholly taken and excised out of the movies and the movie still made sense. Like there has to be stuff happening in those scenes within those torture moments that help progress the plot further. Um, I'm not saying that they're, you know, as critical as other moments, but I would assume so that there's uh, stuff within those scenes and, and in those situations and, you know, you know, people talking to each other as they're forced to go through this and all this that you would you you can't fully excise those scenes out of it. So, I mean, um, you you could you could probably try to sanitize, it, but it, but you were part part of the part of the appeal uh, to some people anyway. It is the over the over the top nature of of the the gore and the traps and things like that. I yeah. I usually resist referring to Saw as torture porn even though i do think some movies may some movies may do it more than others like i would say like almost spot almost spiral was more torture porny than a lot of the other because not every because not every saw movie is about i mean they all have some kind of traps that just make you go oh but not every single there are some movies that probably have less than others as far as at least what the main characters are going through but there is an element of that i but i think that this movie is going to be interesting for multiple reasons for me. I think it seems to be it seems to be playing very well. I, I said to you jokingly about the number of views this trailer had gotten compared to the Marvels, which probably, with all due respect, just shows you how little interest there is in the Marvels. <laughs> but I just checked it now. The Marvels has been out for like eleven, at least eleven days. I think There's, it's gotten fifteen million views. Saw hasn't even been out for what a full five days yet it's already got 14 million views so if, if it continues at the current trend like by 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 friday saw will have already had more views in less than a week than the marvel second trailer had since it since it was released i think there's interest in this movie because it looks like a real saw movie not just because it's set between one and two but based on the color schemes the blues and the greens and things like that and the dirtiness the griminess of it it looks like a saw movie now, it's interesting because, again, this could be the first movie that's almost exclusively from John Kramer's point of view. That's how they're framing it, at least. You know you're going to be spending time with the people in the traps. But we've never really had a full Saw movie from almost with John Kramer being the protagonist. And it looks like that's what we're going to get out of this, which would be interesting to begin with. The other thing I'm interested in is if there's going to be anything they do in this movie from a continuity perspective, which... And I don't mean introducing yet another hidden apprentice. That they're going to give us something that it's worth to the laying breadcrumbs and a, a retcon by showing us this hidden chapter that it's going to be picked up on 
later on. Somebody asked, I think, during the ScreenCon or whatever they had over the summer, whether there was gonna, we were going to see anything in this movie that, that related to unanswered questions that still existed, like through the first original, like seven movies. And they said yes. I don't know if it's going to be anything major, but I thought that was telling. Just like I thought when the thing that fascinated me about watching the trailer reactions to this was that up until the very end, there were only like two. Actually, there was only one reaction that I ever saw about zeroing in on this point. And then there was a, a trailer breakdown and analysis, which 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 referred to it, too. But the very first thing you, when you're watching like the pre-trailer garbage, which I hate in general, when they give you like the snippets of the trailer you're about to watch. The, the thing that stood out like a sore thumb was the quote about of, of of all the men to cheat, you pick John Kramer, because if you've seen the Saw movies, you know that voice. The voice is Costas Mandalore's Detective Hoffman, who was the other apprentice who you don't know is the apprentice until the end of Saw 4. That's when you find out that he's the guy. He was the missing. He was the the accomplice of Jigsaw that nobody knew about. And then all the other movies were retconning how he how he was involved in everything else. That's his voice. So almost nobody picked up on that when they watched the trailer, when, when that line gets repeated either, like I said, in the pre-trailer or during the trailer. And it makes sense based on the time frame in this movie. He should already be involved with John Kramer and Shawnee Smith's Amanda, who obviously gets reve- revealed at the end. It's not isn't a great surprise to anybody who knew this. I mean, people who already knew about this movie knew this was going to be a prequel and they already knew that uh, Shawnee Smith was coming back as Amanda. So it makes sense that Costas Mandalore would be back as Hoffman too but I, it really does pump me up for this the poster was fantastic too with the eye trap thing got to give thumbs up to marketing on this one I think the trailer that even the choice of music in this trailer is is pretty pretty cool I think it was a it, it really does a good job at setting the stage and I think that's probably why the trailer's got as many views as it has yeah no I I just I, like I said I can't stand the gore I I'm somebody who Look, one of my one of my you know, I've got lots of favorite shows, but one of my favorite shows is House. There are moments of even House I can't stand to watch. Uh, I have to peel my eyes away from the screen. So if I can't stand moments of House, I'm going to have to stay away from Saul. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, interesting anecdote, just really quick. Uh, House, the complete series, went on sale on Voodoo. While I was in recovery from my surgeries back in 2020 and 2021, and I started watching it going, oh, house, it's, you know, it's one of my favorite shows. And like, it's not like I wasn't thinking about it, but it just didn't cross my mind. I had to completely shut off house and stop my rewatch of it at the time because I was. You know, I was too close to the <laughs> too close to the source. <laughs> you know, I was too close to my surgeries. Uh, that was the first time. And I, I, I've said it before on the show, but when I got hospitalized and had to step away from the show in 2020, 2021 for a little while for recovery, that was my first major hospitalization ever in my life. And be- and it happened during the pandemic. So I couldn't have like, you know, my dad come visit me or my mom or my sister, my brother-in-law or anything like that. Like I was utterly alone in the middle of a pandemic going through my first major hospitalization ever in my life. Um, so like it was, it was, I, I have no problem, you know, it's not emasculating in me. I was scared. Um, and there was a lot of stuff going on at the time. So like I started rewatching house and I was like, nope. Can't even deal with the situation. So, um, 
yeah, I think I think I think my my uh, my outlook on gore and acceptance of that stuff is slightly um, worsened <laughs> over the past couple of years, actually, if I'm being honest. I can understand that. Chad. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for thanks for thanks for calling me, man. Thanks for being my safe shelter. <laughs> oh. Thanks for thinking of me, as Scott Lang would say. And speaking of Marvel, yes, that was a that was a almost natural segue that you led me into. <laughs> You're uh, so we're going. The other trailer that dropped re- really even more recently than Saw was the Loki season two trailer, which uh, came out this week and. It's it's another interesting trailer from the perspective that how you feel about this is a trailer. I think just my general review is I think it's fine. It didn't really pump me up all that much, but I think it I think it greatly depends on how you feel about Loki season one, along with. Now, I think Loki, how you feel about Loki season one probably is, is the A factor and the B factor, of course, is how you feel about where <laughs> the MCU as a whole. So if you really like Loki season one and even regardless of whether you think the MCU is in a ditch or not. You probably this trailer probably pumped you up to a large extent. And obviously, Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston are the main draws here for most people and their chemistry and just them in general. I think the trailer was sufficient. I don't think it was great, but I also didn't love Loki season one. Look, I thought Loki season one had some cool things in it started strong. I don't know. if And the part of the, the very, very end of the final episode with the Kang stuff was good. I thought it kind of dragged at times. And I also thought. And I know you like Sylvie. I didn't like Sylvie. But I also thought, I guess my feelings for, for Loki also get drawn back to this is the Loki was the first Marvel series in which the, the gong kind of went off that said, you really don't need to watch this when they drop. <laughs> because if you're expecting to have some some must see TV almost every single time you watch an episode of a Marvel MCU show, well, guess what? You're not getting it. And that's when the reality kind of sunk in for me that uh, which I liked it in compared to some of the crap we've gotten at since it's still good, but I didn't love it. So this trip, I'm cautiously optimistic about Loki season two. Uh, yeah, the trailer looked good. Uh, like with lots of these things, I think there's too much time between these seasons. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to go back and rewatch to uh, kind of view this season and there this actually this trailer in its proper context and see if it actually you know meshes with the season as I remember it and as I was thinking things would go. The thing about um, this trailer or or just Loki season one and this trailer in general that bugs me, and this is something I I don't think I've said on this show. Uh, obviously, guys, I'm a DC guy. I'm not a Marvel guy or more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy, but I have my my touchstones to the Marvel comics universe that I love, like my symbiotes, but also like Asgardians. Now I can't claim as much knowledge to Asgardians and the publication history of them as I can with some of the other stuff that we talk about on the show. But I feel like Loki, the character has been neutered somewhat in the past couple of years um, Tom Hiddleston being a likable man, uh, an attractive man, uh, being somebody who uh, and because he's playing Loki and the way Loki's dressed and acts and stuff like that, he gets this sort of, you know, 
the e girls out there like uh you know uh, all the gamer girls and the the alternative chicks and whatever gets everybody all up in arms because he's kind of like the uwu emo boy or whatever that they love so much um so seeing him fall for sylvie and and become kind of the good guy and the you know the the trickster with the heart of gold and you're always rooting for him to do better and do better like look i get that but like he's still got to be loki like loki is it's you know we've seen a lot of movies in the past several years including this year about you know people being more than just what they appear as but for me sometimes especially gods like loki like you know and and things like that they are the god of something you know and that something should always be a part of who they are. And I see some more of Loki being the good guy and fighting for right and stuff like that in this trailer. And it started to worry about, it started to worry me again, that we were still getting this heroic, you know, or anti-hero at the very least or whatever, Loki. And I was like, Oh, here we go again. I'm maybe not being as interested in that as, as this as I thought. And then we get to the final the end. Yes. Second, <laughs> seconds of the, the trailer <laughs> And Mobius says, come on, you're the god of mischief. And whether or not Loki's response is connected, like the two are are said right. in, in connection with each other remains to be seen. But Loki says, always have been, always will be. And I was like, oh, now I'm curious again. Because I Loki, Loki has to be mischievous. Loki has to be bad is maybe too broad of a term. But like he has to do what he wants to do sometimes, regardless of what other people think, regardless of even if it's the right thing. And it's not like he's being mind controlled or he has had about to view. That is who he is. And it has to be a holy him decision to do said bad thing or said mischievous thing. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's hard it's hard to justify, quote unquote, the actions of a traditional villain or whatever. Um, but it's maybe a little easier when you're talking about gods or godlike characters, because like the like god of mischief, that is who he is. So it's not you're not seeing Loki be bad. You're seeing him embody his purpose. And I think uh, I want to see more of that from from Loki himself. And. My only concern, because they specifically say it at the end of this trailer, so clearly we are going to see it, but to what extent and how far into the season until we see it is what concerns me. I think those concerns are legitimate. I think, I don't think as as far as the driving plot, we know it's going to be revolving, if not exclusively to a large extent, around the threat of Kang. But moving beyond that, what you see in the trailer doesn't seem... We know we should feel it as consequential and they certainly play it up all like time is running out or whatever, but I don't feel it because probably because Kang has not worked for me at all so far as a major, as a major threat, but on his own, I still think the draw, the draw on this is, is Tom Hiddleston is first, Owen Wilson second. And you're right. Depending on how, depending on how long, well, let's see, this is, it's a fine line with Loki because if you have him completely go back and be, and be really bad, like go like, let's say like pre pre Ragnarok. If he goes, or if he's more like he was even in Dark World, you know, when he basically pushes out Odin and things like that, 
I don't know if people will accept that, even though we know technically speaking, this is not the same, literally the same Loki. I think people have kind of, they kind of want Loki to be a little, a little warmer and fuzzier, not, not neutered, but they want him, I think, to be a little warmer and fuzzier than, than the, that we, than we got in like the, in the Avengers in the original Thor movie. So I think that's a, I think that's, I think that's a fine line if they, if they make him too, too much like he was before. It, it, and I'm not saying it's an easy, it's an easy line to walk with Loki. I'm also concerned that I would expect this show to be good. If I had to bet, I bet, I would bet it would be good and it would be well received. And I think people will watch it. I, you know, I doubt it's going to get the poor, the poor viewership that Secret Invasion got, but. The MCU is in such a place right now where I'm coming back to my favorite baseball cliche that the mo- your your momentum is always as good as only as good as the next day starting pitching. So for Marvel, momentum is only as good as the next product you put out because nothing really carries over momentum wise right now, which also is partially because none of the projects really are connected anymore. You don't need to if if you didn't see Guardians, it wouldn't affect you at all seeing Loki or it wouldn't affect you at all seeing the mo- of uh, the marvels and things like that and that's kind of their problem but with with echo with echo warming up in the bullpen to follow this <laughs> and that's even if we assume the marvels gets pushed which it may very well if the strike is still going on may very may very well get pushed out of the november release which is funny because i didn't tell you this but i told jim this and maybe this is a a a random thing or maybe this is a sign a sign of things to come when I went to go see Haunted Mansion on Thursday, not only was the Marvels not the last trailer, it wasn't even on the friggin' trailer package. I was stunned. <laughs> it's like you would think that would have been the the last trailer on the trailer package should have been the Marvels, and it wasn't even on the trailer package. But even if the Marvel if the Marvels doesn't get moved, then you have to worry about if that doesn't do well, and then you have Echo, I think, that comes out like right around Thanksgiving. Even if you had momentum from Loki, it's going to be gone. But that's their best bet TV wise right now. <laughs> so let's hope. Let's hope Loki is good. But again, it wasn't my favorite show, but I will be more interested in in seeing how it starts. I hope it starts off strong because they can't have another show that kind of just peters out right almost immediately. And then you just kind of hope people are going to stick around and just because, hey, it's Marvel, because I don't think that really works as much anymore. Yeah, I guess Come- we'll see. Yes, I guess we will. All right. Now that the uh, MCU's topic has been broached, what's next? Well, last and maybe least, Secret Invasion, I suppose, will be the <laughs> that'll take us home for the night. <laughs> oh, where should we start with this? General thoughts. Let's do general thoughts first. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was <sighs> interesting. It was, um, it was, it was, it was, um, not a waste of my time to watch. I'll say that. Um, it did feel relatively slow going and maybe anticlimactic in some, in some ways. It was good seeing Maria Hill and Fury again and everything. But, um, I, you know, it's very even even knowing we were going to record this tonight and like trying to think of like stuff to say on it other than 
stuff which you and I will cover later on. But um, it was still hard to try and quantify my thoughts on this show because inconsequential isn't right. Unexhilarating isn't necessarily right. It just, it's not something that I, like I said, it's not something I regret watching. It's not even something that I think is necessarily bad. It's just, I feel mm, disconnected. I feel disconnected from this project, its potential connections to the rest of the MCU. Um, it's character. I feel slightly disconnected from the characterizations of some of the characters that I'm supposed to recognize and hold as my POV. Um, I feel slightly disconnected from the, you know, quote unquote new characters that we get introduced to in the show and are supposed to be some of our, are supposed to, supposed to make up the rest of our POV characters. Yeah. I think disconnected is the word I feel from this project. Again, not necessarily bad. Uh, but uh, just it just disconnected. Yeah, it's hard to see. It's hard to say I was disappointed in this because I really had no expectations for this. I didn't think it was going to be. I mean, we we knew, first of all, over six, six episodes. So the odds of it being satisfying, no matter what they did in six episodes, was going to be very, very unlikely. We knew for multiple lame because we can't afford them really reasons we were going to be given reasons why the Avengers were not in this show. So it was going to be like secret invasion light as far as we were not going to have any of them. We were not going to have all the uh, gravitas of what actually happened in secret invasion to a large extent in this. It seems like it was a waste of if we were going to have a big return of Nick Fury. It kind of seems like it was a waste to have it in this project the way it turned out. I like Amelia Clark. I was not unhappy. I don't think justice for Daenerys. Finally, I don't think that while you don't have to dig too deep, I suppose, to find evidence of, hey, look, more MCU stuff. That's not the way I really took this show when I was watching it. So it didn't I did not jump onto that take when she ended up getting and spoilers, by the way. We didn't say that, but we'll say that this is going to be a spoiler filled discussion. So. That, you know, when when things happen the way they do in the final episode and, you know, basically they get they they make her more powerful than anybody else that I didn't feel like, oh, they I didn't feel they were raying her as blatantly. Yeah, they both they were raying both of them from the perspective that just because you have all these abilities, you wouldn't be able to necessarily know how to use them particularly well immediately. That was kind of a little bogus. But I think. Her character was just kind of it just it seems like an, it was an odd strategy for Nick Fury because it's not exactly like she was 100 percent on board with him for the majority of the show. It's like, why would you want to give anybody all these powers? I the stuff with Rhodey was odd because, of course, now it raises the question of how exactly how long Rhodey has actually been a scroll. And especially it doesn't help when, the you know, when the director makes it sound like, well, his, if it was up to him, he basically would have been he basically would have been a scroll from the time he was being put into that scan machine in Civil War, which I don't think really logically works in continuity based on what we've seen in Infinity War and Endgame. But the thing I will give the show credit for is that it didn't even though, yes, it was relatively slow going and it's not like you really thought you were going to get anything substantial at the end of every episode that they did. Though they certainly did try to 
They did try to up the ante with killing people, trying to kill or almost kill somebody off at the end of every single episode. That was kind of, at least for a while they were doing that. It did make me want to watch the shows as they dropped. And that's something a Marvel show hasn't really made me want to do in a while. And I can't even tell you why. Maybe because it felt like an MCU show to me. It felt like, even though, yes, this is watered down and Lord knows how they spent $200 million on the show. That's that's mind boggling because it doesn't look it there. You know, there's there's sometimes when you spend the money and you say, oh, yeah, I can see every penny on the screen. And then there's something like this when it's like, yeah, even factoring in the CGI, the big CGI fight at the end. It's like, where the hell did $200 million go? To, to make this on the screen says so they seemingly were avoiding using scrolls for a lot of the show on purpose. Samuel L. Jackson's pay cut. Yeah, I guess. I mean, cause, cause you know, it wasn't going to be done. Shields. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think it's, eh, I, it's, it's kind of funny that so many people hate it. I think it's more, but beyond that, I think it's more funny, not more funny. It's more telling that nobody watched it. That's what that's the most telling thing about it. I can understand people. I can understand people not liking it. I I thought it was fine. I didn't love it. But again, compared to some of the other stuff we've gotten, I think it feels more like an MCU show. Like, I mean, I'm in the minority compared to you and Dan, but I would rather watch this any day of the week than going back to watch She-Hulk again. But. It's the fact that so many people stayed away from this in droves, even from the very beginning. And I and it just that. I don't know. It doesn't it does not bode well for where we are in the MCU. So that's why when I mentioned the Loki and the momentum is the next day starting pitcher. Even if Loki is good, I mean, what does it really mean? You got Echo, you got the Marvels and then, yeah, Deadpool, everybody expects to be good or or, or interested because it's all multiverse hopping and things like that. But then you got Captain America and the Thunderbolts, which are major wild cards, even assuming they come out on time, which they may very well not. I don't know. Those are my basic thoughts. Yeah, I think to like I'm not a uh, again speaking to to personal uh, experience and preference more DC than Marvel, but even I know what Secret Invasion is when you tell me the name in terms of comic books. Um, and there's there's good shape shifting stories and there's bad shape shifting stories, but the if you take a look at the album art we use for this episode that I put together with the, the different posters of the things we're talking about tonight, the tagline for secret invasion is literally who do you trust? So they're leaning into the idea that we've got shape shifters here and you never know who's going to be a shapeshifter and who's not. And that was something that the secret invasion comic played with the original one played with pretty, pretty heavily. And there were some gen for some for a lot of people, some genuine like, oh, shit moments of I can't believe that person's actually a scroll, even in bad shape shifting stories like um, anything particularly involving Durlins. Uh, <laughs> there are times when you go, oh, shit, that person's a shapeshifter that didn't expect that. There wasn't, I didn't get that in this, in the, in the all, all six issues of the show that's supposed to be about shapeshifters. Not once was I, I think maybe the most surprised I was, if you can count it as surprised, is when they reveal that Everett Ross was a scroll. And that was so early in the season <laughs> that for that to be the one that stands out is interesting, uh, to me. Obviously the, the stuff about Nick Fury's wife, that's, 
I don't think that necessarily counts necessarily. Um, so, uh, and the, obviously the, the roadie thing was telegraphed from the beginning for a lot of yep. people. So maybe if like Maria turned out to be a scroll or something, I don't know, but man, I was, uh, and at no point was I like, holy shit, who's a scroll? Um, and that kind of shits the bed on the OG concept of secret invasion, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we kind of knew it was going, like I said. But once we, it was such a, such a low scaled or scaled down version. It's kind of, it's like, kind of like when they first introduced Doomsday, like in Smallville or something. It's like, you just know it's such a watered down version of something that should be big. And even if you're not a huge fan either of Secret Invasion or you never read it religiously, but you still, like you said, you still know the concept of it. And this just made it, it's, you can't say it's inconsequential because there are things that happen here that are going to go forward. Like obviously this sets the stage for how Thunderbolt Ross ends up becoming president. <laughs> but one thing it did make me think of though, because I, I couldn't help but think of it that even if he hadn't been introduced previously, if not, we know they can't do this, but if they could have, this could have been a nice opportunity for Rom to play a role in the MCU just because of the whole shape shifting and the fact that we know that in the comic books, Skrulls and Dire Wraith were offshoots of the same species, just one concentrated on sorcery and one concentrated on science. But the whole idea, if Rom had been able to be in the MCU, just the idea that, that his energy, that the his energy analyzer works in any, anything that's a shapeshifter, not just a Dire Wraith. It would work on a scroll just like a Dire Wraith. So the idea that that Galadorian technology, which technically they could still do because they just can't use Rom, but they can use Space Knights, they can use Galador. The idea that if we had those characters in the MCU, then that could be a way for us to be able to figure out, always be able to detect who was a scroll and who was not a scroll. And it just it made me long for the fact that, you know, James Gunn had really had mentioned that he wanted to use Rom, but it was obviously contractually that can't. It just just little things that could have made this more, more interesting. And it just I don't know. And this the excuse. Oh, Oh, we can't have the Avengers in because they might duplicate them and that makes it worse. And then at the end, it's like, oh, it's like, a, this is personal, which is real funny because it's so personal for Nick Fury. He's not even the one that takes out Gravik. <laughs> he just shoots Rhodey in the head. <laughs> it's, we all know it's a financial reason that, that the Avengers aren't in this. Uh, plus they only made you, they only gave you like one super scroll. So you didn't have to just potentially justify. And I mean, before they got amped up with having everybody's DNA. Which is really stupid, especially first of all, speaking of that whole concept, how the hell, how, how the hell, it's gotta be scroll technology. Cause how the hell are you going to find some obscure pieces of DNA on that battlefield from everybody? Cause not everybody was, was just pouring out blood and, and you just jam it all together. That seems like a kind, kind of a waste of, of sampling. I mean, to put it all together like that, you would think you'd want it. I don't, it, it just, I don't know. It just see, it seemed very, very, very odd. Plus they had characters. They weren't even at the battle of at the compound. Like the abomination wasn't there. And there was and somebody who somebody else that somebody else of prominence that they showed that they when they were going through the list of of, of characters, when they were roll, rolling off names that they Oh, um what's her name from uh Ant Man and Wasp? Oh, Ghost, you're correct. Yeah. Ghost. That's the one. That's Because we even see of. one of Ghost's powers displayed at Yes, point, yes, right? yeah, because yeah. because she, she uses that to phase. Yeah, that it's like these characters weren't even at the battle, you know, weren't even at the you know the battle in Endgame. So it's like it does, 
yeah i don't know it's 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 some of some of that stuff is 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 really really weird and you know it's not everybody and so and i guess i think they were smart because they didn't they didn't have like they didn't have like dr strange and they didn't have wanda because well dr strange would be more of a problem because dr strange's powers are absolutely not genetic so having his dna would be irrelevant wanda's powers essentially are not entirely really genetic anyway but they opened the door for some of it being she had some talent or some natural aptitude or genetically because in the Wanda series, they kind of retconned that, that she wasn't all genetically manipulated by, by Zucker. But still Wanda being who she, Wanda being the Scarlet Witch has nothing to do with genetic power. It has to do with, it's not in her genes to be that because, well, I guess you could, it's a slippery slope because that's why we know there's tons of Wanda's in the multiverse, but only one was ever supposed to be able to become the Scarlet Witch. So you can make a case there would be something different in her makeup. I don't know. I just, it just, that concept just seemed friggin' weird to begin with. And it's like, uh, like, yeah, let's just, let's just keep this around. And let's, and then that's, and then let's, oh, they're going to kill, they're going to kill all these people in the bunker. And it's like, yeah, so we're going to make, potentially make this guy the strong. If my stupid, my stupid master plan doesn't work and this chick's going to beat this guy when they all have the same powers that that now he's going to be literally the most powerful being if not in the entire mcu certainly on earth and well i'm still not going to call the avengers <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah in terms of secret invasion stuff that leads into the mcu uh i think there's two main things obviously the speech that the president gives at the end basically proclaiming any non-native you know off-world being as the enemy, um, which I think some some okay. people have led to be like you know, that could be our lead-in entry for the plot of Thunderbolts. Um, there's also Fury calling him a one-term president. You know his speech, like one-term president stuff, which we're supposed to get Harrison Ford as Ross, who's going to be president in in that movie um, in Captain America. So like, you know. Uh, obviously, Ritson won't be president for very long, and this this might explain how he does that. And then there's, of course, the uh, at least for me, I think what Fury says about the Kree being involved in finding the scrolls of Homeworld, which could could potentially lead into uh, Marvels. Marvels. Um, seems like it would, but yeah. Um, I think those are our bigger ties. I, I was going through an article earlier today that was ask, obviously asking the questions about when was Ross replaced, when was Rhodey replaced, but like also mentioned like in the, how is what Priscilla is doing important work? And they, I think they were theorizing like her research into the superhuman gene and stuff like that could be a lead in for mutants down the line. That would make sense. So um, there's stuff like that as well. But yeah, I um, I, I again, I just felt very disconnected from this from this show, and uh, and even with the potential of where the various bits and pieces could end up, like for instance, for me, honestly, I think Rhodey was probably taken between in the death and the funeral of of Tony. Like he was he was legitimately there to say goodbye to his friend, but maybe didn't make the funeral or was captured after the funeral or something, um, because just uh, personally to me, what it, it's the only way it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, because it makes those it makes no sense because he 
because of the fact that if he was just pretending to be crippled, then he then then it, survival instinct probably would have taken over when he was buried under the compound in Endgame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, some people were like, "Well, how could he be a scroll?" It's like, look, Thanos is threatening all life. I could see the scrolls being like, "Yeah, whatever needs to be done." Uh, even the quote unquote bad scrolls, I could be like, "Yeah, do whatever needs to be done to bring back life," because you know we're bringing back some of our people too. So like, I could I could easily I have no problem believing that if in game Rhodey was for some reason a scroll, he was under orders to do what he did anyways. Like, and that would that would make sense to me uh, because it's a it's you know you know pardon the pun it's an in game scenario. <laughs> so. Yeah, a lot of those replacements, it's dicey because the fall, the fall, I mean, we know the falling out, but the tension between Talos and Fury happened after the blip or during the blip, depending how you want to look at it, after Thanos' snap before he came back. But a lot, but, but Gravik and company, at least on the surface, were still working, at least on the surface, were still working with Fury, obviously, after everybody came back because they were cleaning up the Battle of the Avengers compound and that's how they got all the DNA. So yeah. it says I don't think it makes I don't think it makes any sense that Rhodey has been basically since since we see him since he's going to get shortly after the vision accidentally crippled him that he was all this all this time. I mean, you can I think it makes more sense that basically from maybe caps from uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier going forward that he's yeah. been he's been, based on when we've seen him. That, yeah, because he's he, he's not. I mean, I I hate to say this because he he's still a member of the Avengers and stuff like that. But he's not valuable until he's in, in the a suit. place of power. You know, he's oh, yeah, next to he's next to the president or whatever. He's climbing those ranks like that. Yeah, he he it had to have been post end game. So yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree with that. I yeah. think that makes sense. Ross is much, Everett Ross is much more interesting. I do. I yeah. do. I. That's why it was the only one that like. Shocked isn't even the right word, but it's the only one that even close, remotely surprised me. But he was, but again, even in the beginning, it was, it was shocking just because we wouldn't expect that character based on how we've seen him before. Yeah. But like you said, the, the way he, the way like you described, you know how you know they were telegraphing Rhodey. If you really go back and watch that first episode with Ross, he was kind of acting a little weird too. Yeah. So it's and then and then yeah and then kill, killing off Maria Hill the way they did that seemed that seemed kind of cold. Yeah. I uh, also is uh, just a minor bit of incontinuity I want to touch on. Fury, which is obviously, again, spoilers, ends up not being Fury. But Fury is, you know, quote unquote, Fury is putting on the act of radiation sickness um, uh, at the in the final episode. Turns out to be Gaia, whatever. And um, because a human can't really survive in these conditions. So then how are all the people who are in <laughs> yes, at the end, at the end who are housed in the same area to be mimicked by the scrolls, not dying. Maybe they're protected while they're in the pods, but like, what about getting out of that area? Like, I, I don't like the minute they're out of there. Aren't they, aren't they being, so if somehow the pods are protecting him, the minute they get out of them, aren't they suddenly subjected to the same radiation? <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that I, I, I think that's a legit plot point, unless they want you to believe that the scrolls are like like feeding them, like feeding something into their in their stasis tubes or something that 
that basically gave protected them from the from any yeah. additional. But it, it. But again, if you if you if you have to connect the dots all that much yourself or go out on these weird specul speculative things, then I guess that doesn't mean it wasn't particularly done well. Gotcha. All right. Can I can I transition? Yes, all right. So Ch Ch transitioning that, that yeah. now that's a big spoiler yeah. for the episode. Um, Mark, uh, I know we I think we've talked about this before, but I can't remember the specifics. How much of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did you watch? I, I'm reluctant to say Zippo, but I okay. think it's damn close to Zippo. I, I, I'm trying to think there may have been some tie in at one point to the MCU that made me want to watch. But if I had to bet, if I, I don't remember a damn thing. So I'm going to say, unless I tried to watch the first episode to just to see, to get an idea of how it was starting. I, I didn't watch any of it. Yeah. So, uh, I have all of agents of shield, uh, and I have watched and rewatched that show again and again and again in the past, not as much as some of the other shows, but definitely something I rewatched often. uh, agents of shield, started off in that first season pretty bad but ended up better by the end of the season and then just got better season by season i think really climaxing around seasons four and five um it's not like it took a precipitous drop off after then but it just sort of plateaued and kind of petered out a little bit uh at the end there but that show is supposedly non-canon now the two points i'm really going to bring up here actually three points i'm really going to bring up here are all it's almost you could almost argue that they're not worth bringing up because Extremis was introduced in Iron Man three, and you know kind of really ran its course for most of that movie. We got a lot of information about Extremis in that film. Uh, we also saw the nano mask um, that is used by Fury in the, the 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 either the penultimate or the the last episode of this season that was used by uh, Black Widow during the uh, Winter Soldier movie yep. to uh, imitate one of the uh, one of the council members or whatever yeah the, one were. of the council members and then the Kree we've seen the Kree a couple of different times of course in the MCU as well but all three of those were also heavily worked on in Agents of Shield don't forget Agents of Shield started post Avengers post Iron Man three, because one of the first, the first episode we get is a man saving somebody from a burning building that had just exploded. That man turns out to in later seasons turns out to be Deathlock, Um, but he's a down on his luck. Originally he's a down on his luck guy uh, who's going, who, you know, kind of had a bad back and, uh, didn't get workman's comp and stuff like that from his job. So he got fired and, you know, he's going to be evicted, you know, the, the kind of struggling story. So he, he tries, he volunteers for this experiment to make him better. And it's car called, it's part of something called the centipede program. And the centipede program is a strip of, of, of tech that goes on your forearm and it's got this orange glowing liquid in it, which is extremis. So they really heavily use extremis in the first season of agents of shield and you know a little bit here and there and i think season two uh the and in my mind the dividing line between season one and two and what's happening in each of them is is a little bit fuzzy but regardless um the centipede project turns out to be run by this scientist woman and then later when we see her again for the second time she's conversing with a woman named reina which is referred to the girl in the flower dress and her superiors all 
all the up the chain uh, from Reina and above goes to someone who we refer to as the clairvoyant. And that's all we get uh, for a while. We never see this person, never hear of him until Winter Soldier comes out and the collapse of S.H.I.E.L.D. happens. And it turns out the clairvoyant was John Garrett, who is a member of a high ranking member of Hydra within S.H.I.E.L.D., who'd been climbing the ranks for a long time. So in all this to say the people funding the experiments on Extremis to make their own version of super soldiers wasn't some nebulous centipede project. It was Hydra. So to see Extremis here makes me wonder how much, like apparently agents is agents of shield is not supposed to be in Canon, but for the good four seasons or so, it was pretty damn lockstep because when Extremis is seen in the first episode, Agent Coulson recognizes it and goes, it's called Extremis. It's something new. You know, so that ties into, uh, you know, obviously Avengers with Agent Coulson and all that stuff. And then, you know, we see Extremis. So that ties into Iron Man 3. Then later on, we get the team having to go to London or whatever to clean up the mess after Thor the Dark World. You know, so there's a tie-in. Uh, you know, that's, we get- that's the one I, if I watched an episode... Besides, like the opening one, that would have been the one because they kind of made a big deal tying it into Thor Dark World when that was going on. Yeah. And then they talk about Sokovia falling out of the sky, which, by the way, for those of you playing along at home, if you didn't know, how did Fury get his hands on that helicarrier? That was Coulson. Coulson had been running a project to find and rebuild uh, the most salvageable of the remaining helicarriers and he'd been running it secret for a long long time and nobody knew what this was there was like a, i'm not going to get into it but it was a big plot point for one of the seasons of uh of i think season two of of agents of shield and you know they they do this whole they do they do this thing and the project itself the thing that's being kept a secret is the process to rebuild and 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 get back on its feet a helicarrier so when in in age of ultron when when uh when fury says he got it from some friends he's talking about colson so that's that i mean that's a very direct tie-in and then we talk about the sokovia accords later on so like all this to say iron man 3 we get extremis it seems killian is the only one who can survive with it in him though I don't think we're ever told how, like how he is the one, because everybody else, it clearly like goes suicide bomb on them, right? I think that's correct. That continues in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nobody is stabilized with this. So now obviously in Iron Man 3, Tony figures out a way to cure Pepper. But that's not what Hydra wants in Agents, right? They want to figure out a way to stabilize somebody. So somehow either Killian was connected to Hydra or Hydra stole some of the extremist stuff from Killian and them. And they've been experimenting on it and they've been trying to stabilize extremists, which they do so by finding somebody who is powered, who can like, you know, you know, kind of like human torch. You know, they can flame on, but only a little bit of a time. But his real power turns out to be he's immune to fire. So they take his blood platelets and that's how they stabilize extremists. So we get extremists in 
in Secret Invasion. But how is Extremis stabilized? Enough for the scrolls to use it. Or is scroll biology all that takes for the root version of Extremis that was event that was originally just causing a bunch of unstable people to explode? Is that totally fine in a scroll body because they can adapt? Be an easy explanation. <laughs> right. See, and that's and then and and, and that's that's kind of driving the, the nano mask also plays a part in Agents of Shield because a former shield agent eventually agent 33 ends up brainwashed by hydra and and like impersonates a member of the agents of shield team uh, and you know she's wearing the nano mask to do so the nano mask has like a big thing here and then the very end here um we got to talk about kree because i what of any kree we have seen on screen leads you to believe that they're willing to help anybody, let alone scrolls. Because yeah, when we, that we saw in Guardians that like when they were asking when when what's her name? Uh the captain of the Nova Guard or whatever, she was like asking for them to renounce um what's his name? What is his name? Ronan. They I thought like, you were going with Ronan, but I'm telling, yeah. uh, you kind of left me hanging, isn't it? You no, know, you're good. You're good. When she, they were asking, her, she was like, "No." The 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 Cree leadership was like, "Nah," like you know, uh, he's not our responsibility, and neither are other worlds, basically. So like, they did that whole thing, and and I don't, and even the stuff that we saw in Marvels, like I don't, nothing about anything we've seen in the Cree leads me to believe Cree are willing to help let alone help scrolls. So what makes Fury, he's delivering this news to his wife as if, look, hey, good news. The Kree are actually going to help. And he has no suspicions about this. It's all just going to work out. Peace in our time, just like uh, just like the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Let's have a peace treaty. If you've never seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Mark, from your MCU-only knowledge, quote-unquote traditional MCU-only, have we ever seen good Cree that would be willing to step in and help? Are you talking just on screen? You're talking about MCU? Are you talking even in the books? Because I'm not as familiar with, with the whole. I don't have an extensive background reading stuff in the books. I would say, no, I would say that, there, that you definitely have a Federation Klingon relationship there. So it would be, so you, I'm sure you would find some people that would be, but they're going to be standing out like a sore thumb. And it's hard to imagine that the idea of why, why, why the Cree would want to enter into peace talks with the scrolls unless was, yeah, I don't. It, it, it makes no sense to me except what, um, Marvel maybe. Yeah, I was, that's, yeah, Marvel is one you would say that, uh, if you're looking for an example of a good Cree, at least even in the MCU, you would say she was probably she was probably the one that we would we would have to assign that. Okay. So. Right. And, and in terms of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., do we only have one example, too? Because once they started down that whole inhuman storyline and they were getting the inhumans into the mix, a signal is sent and some and one of the Cree race comes down to deal with like, oh, we just got a signal that a crystal has been activated on earth and ten- terror Genesis has happened. 
this is a an old Kree experiment gone bad. We have to deal with this. I have to get rid of this inhuman. And obviously he was like hunting inhumans and stuff. But Sif has to come down and deal with it because she gets the signal that, or sorry, um, uh, Heimdall sees that a Kree landed on Earth. So he sends Sif to go deal with it. And uh, it turns out he's just like a little bit misguided. He's essentially a good guy who's acting on some old information. But th- those are two individual people very far apart there is nothing in Cre- and, and i'm on season five right now of my rewatch of agents of shield in which the team gets pitched into the far-flung future a couple of generations where planet earth has been destroyed and the last remaining humans are on a base kind of orbiting the debris field of earth and they're being kept like cattle by the Cree. So, like, I uh, obviously the MCU has never seen Kree to the extent that you see them in season five of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where they're basically keeping humans as slaves. But Kree have never been a good thing. And Nick Fury was involved in the first couple of seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because he's literally the one who ends up helping to kill and dispatch John Garrett, a.k.a. the clairvoyant raising you know, high high member of Hydra by by the time that Hydra is revealed um, in in everything that happened with Winter Soldier. There's because extremists, nanomasks, Kree are basic. You're you're basically telling me the first four or five seasons of Agents of Shield uh, with just those three things, and they were very intently expanded upon in that show. So it's really hard for me when people are saying things like, oh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not in canon. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. starts doing things like time travel, like I just said, in season five. So it's easy to see how like that could be the break point for them being in lockstep with MCU continuity from season five on. But that those first four seasons are real tied together with the MCU and for me not to take the developments of Extremis and how they were building it up and then to see Extremis used in Secret Invasion, obviously the nano mask is a piece of tech. It's and that's that that's easy to to get away. And obviously we don't even get the Cree mentioned until the final episode. But for for Nick Fury, here's the big thing. How was do you do, do you remember at all how Phil was brought back to life? V- vague vaguely, not enough where I'd be able to describe it but i do remember hearing kind of secondhand like how they they count how they kind of did it the tahiti project yes tahiti project okay that's familiar and the tahiti project consisted of colson having his memories wiped so they didn't remember the horrific ways they tried to keep him um alive and stable several days after his death in avengers but they gave him an injection of Cree blood. That's right. I did read that. You're right. You're right. You're right. And it drove him partially mad. He started drawing stuff, which ended up being a map to lead to the city where they activated the crystal for the inhumans or whatever. Like that, that doesn't really count here. But Nick Fury was over the Tahiti project. He has had direct dealings, not necessarily with a living Cree in that sense, but using the the damaged and discarded body of a Cree to resurrect essentially Phil Coulson 
knowing the dangers of doing so, because obviously they'd been running experiments on this before they ever put it in Phil. So Nick has direct exposure to something Cree that he should not trust. So the his sentence at the end that the Cree are going to work with us to help the scrolls makes no sense to me. But yeah, I think I think I think that's my point. Is is at the at the end of the day, like look, the extremist thing, I would argue that aside from the creation of extremists, nobody did more work on extremists than Hydra did in Agents of Shield. I would argue that the nano mask had particular play in Agents of Shield, though smaller than extremists. And the Kree had even more play in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But here's the thing. The absolute biggest thing. I, you, you can say all day till the cows can home come home that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is non-canon. But you can't. You, the, you just can't. Because it'd be one thing if the events in the MCU movies went from movie to TV show and not the other way around. But it did go the other way around because Coulson gave Fury a helicarrier. So that means at the very least, up until the helicarrier point, it's in canon. So, to me, Fury knowing about the Tahiti project and what, forget just the Cree race, but what Cree blood alone can do. And then his experiment ex- experience with Saber and the scrolls. All of that combined, that sentence of being excited that the Kree are willing to help makes zero sense to me. So that's I think that's my biggest point is like, yeah, extremist aside, nanomask aside, just Kree in general aside, Nick Fury's direct experience with the Tahiti project plus everything else with saber and scrolls I, I i that last that last moment makes no sense to me and if it's supposed to serve as the lead into an mcu movie like the marvels i don't know where we're going i think i think you could differentiate between who the kree are as people and your experiences with them your knowledge of them and the stuff with the tahiti project because that's 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 just a biological reaction potentially so it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that doesn't that that by itself does that mean they're horrible people and ninety nine percent of them are horrible people all the time just because biologically if you intermit if you intermingle at this their blood with our blood you get so I don't necessarily think that that is a big indictment I do think that your general points about being in continuity and things that were already established and it's hard to sweep under the rug now. And I, and just a general idea that I do think that the idea of him being all him trying to convince the make any scroll happy that, Hey, the Kree are the Kree are willing to enter into peace talks and maybe they're going to, maybe they'll help. And it's like, well, like, like I only half jokingly said, it does it does give you like the Battlestar Galactica vibes. It's like, if somebody has been that much of your enemy for, for all this time, then why would they miraculously just, hey, you know what? We've been fighting too long. Let's 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 hug it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I, it, I'm saying Fury shouldn't trust it. 
at all. I, the fact that Fury trusts anything, <laughs> let alone the Kree, was mind-boggling to me. And and just the fact that we know by the show that he he has not exactly always done right by the Skrulls. And yeah. even and even the the crazy throwaway. And this was another thing that somebody actually mentioned regarding the Rhodey thing, is that if Rhodey was really a scroll in Endgame, then well, hey, you know they were at that they were at the garden where they killed Thanos. That would have been a nice place to move the scrolls to. <laughs> <laughs> There's a world right there. So I also don't know how how Nick Fury was like. Obviously, he would have unless he was getting intel from Carol Danvers. I, I like to know how that he. Like within a couple of years, he he just made that miraculous reach in conclusion that oh yeah, there's no there's no world out there in the in the, basically in the galaxy to put the scrolls. That's really friggin' stupid. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, he could get in contact with Heimdall at one point, right? <laughs> yeah, which is another thing some people have pointed out, like uh, the stupid stuff that we like declaring war on all the. Yeah, outsiders from yeah. other world is like, well, well, New Asgard better up their security. <laughs> yeah, that was dumb. I think, yeah. So, because now, now I'm rethinking my thoughts about when the dividing line of incontinuity would be. I think it would have to be like for me, logistically, it would have to happen uh, in the final episode of season four because that's when they get taken to uh, a way. Uh, a, it's hard to call it a device because it's actually a it's literally a rock that teleports them into the future. And by the laws of time travel, as we know them in in game, I think that creates a split deviation in the timeline. So that would be very clearly the demarcation line, except for the fact that the dark cold was in season four and looked nothing like the dark cold. <laughs> Yes, that we too. saw in the MCU. Um, so technically, I think in in terms of what we've seen, I think the line stops between uh, at the end of season three going into season four, um, as opposed to where I would think it should be, which is which is four into uh, end of four into five. But yeah, uh, there's just there's there's way that for the first three seasons, easy agents was lockstep with the MCU. So it only makes sense, like, yeah, sure, the rest of it probably not in, in continuity, but that doesn't mean you throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's there's important stuff that happens in those first three seasons, especially if they're going to start playing with concepts like Cree and Extremis, that um, you, you have to consider some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. So, that is a valid point. Yeah. All right. Anything else we want to talk about? I don't think so, but it was... Oh, the announcement today, the news. Do we want to get into any of that? I'm tired, Chad. What are you talking about? Wonder Woman. Oh, that doesn't mean well. That what's now? That was just Gal Gadot talking about stuff, was it not? Does Essentially, I think. But the internet is blowing. They're yeah. using everything possible. It's every time anything pops up, it's like you, you see on the side of your your Twitter feed. It's it's not X, guys. It's fucking Twitter. I'm fuck you, Elon Musk. Anytime you see like, you know, trending topics, the minutes anything related to the DCU happens, it's, it's like the beacons are lit. Hashtag fire James Gunn. <laughs> it's like is trending. So Gal Gadot said something and the whole Internet went fucking fire James Gunn. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, the Internet's in a uproar right now. When are they not? Uh, but apparently Wonder Woman 3 is happening with Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. 
Um, we shall see, but that's the rumor at this point. Um, and, uh, yeah, apparently Wonder Woman three was already had a script and everything, but I think the idea is, uh, now that we have gun and everything and Gal Gadot will continue to be Wonder. last I was reading about it. Gal Gadot continues to be Wonder Woman, but the script is being reworked to fit into, and I say the script is being reworked. I don't think it's like exact same plot and everything. I think they just trash the original script and our Wonder Woman three will be a different movie. But with Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Well, I, I think, think that's the last place we left it today. It's not surprising if that turns out to be true, because I mean, let's 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 be honest. The the real it the real issue seemingly was Patty Jenkins. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was the real issue that I think that that when we talked about this, when we talked about, I think, Wonder Woman 84 and probably after too, the fact that they had Warner Brothers had some reservations about Patty Jenkins, even during the first movie. But the first movie ultimately worked and people liked it. But they had lots of reservations about the second movie, including during the making of it and saying, well, we don't this doesn't sound like it's going to work. We don't like this. Oh, trust me, it's going to work. And of course, it completely shit to bed. So they were not, I think they were a lot less gung ho to work with her again. And then depending on what the script was, they may simply not have had a lot of faith in her to no matter what, which is why we you had that back and forth right after she got the boot. When I think WB kind of made it, something from WB made it sound like that they were willing for her to give another pitch and potentially to, to, to for the movie and then she says no that that's not what they that wasn't the case they just they never they never gave me the opportunity or asked me feel free to make another pitch or submit another treatment or whatever so i think it's probably true that they they probably didn't or they they may have tried to be polite in the sense that but main but but at the same time making it clear we really don't want you to do this movie it's it's going to be we- I think the problem people are going to have with this is that they really are cherry picking which character which characters to bring back yeah, which I don't character. like that. And that becomes and that becomes that becomes dicey, especially when you're going to keep Momoa, who's not really Aquaman anyway. So that doesn't even make any sense. I mean, uh, people like Momoa, but that doesn't mean that he sh- should have ever been Aquaman, let alone continuing on. And their only real justification, which is a justification to get rid of Henry Cavill, was because, hey, we want a younger Superman. Then then why? You're, you're obviously not going to have a super young Batman either. So I just it see it it's it's odd. I know in the multiverse you can you can get away with that and they kind of are paving the way with that in the flash. So that's why you can have some of these characters look the same and be the same in some universes and not others. It's that hey, you know, it is a simple concept to just accept if you want to. It's like, hey, you know, just throwing out random numbers, of course. That we were on Earth One and we were on Earth One in the Snyderverse and now we're on Earth Two. So there's some changes. It's like, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Uh, it just, I, I actually, I do like Gal as as Diana. Uh, I think she embodies the part very well. I think she wears it very well. That said, if you're gonna build a new universe, build a new universe. Yeah, it make it, I, I'm so I honestly, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm just fifty fifty. I'm excited to see Gal again as Wonder Woman, but. I'm a little trepidatious about, you know, moving forward with anybody from the Snyder cast. Um, you, 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 you promise, or you, you, he didn't promise a, a dividing line, but you know, you, you kind of 
get it out there in the zeitgeist that it's going to be a dividing line. It's going to be a new launch. It's going to be a new way forward from here on. But when you bring the old with you, is it really? So, yeah, it should have gone cold turkey, I think, uh, at the end of the day. But I'm not a film exec. So who? what the hell do I know? Yeah, I think it, only time's gonna t- time will tell whether this approach is going to work. And because we know, I mean, even though we know when it comes, especially to the DC stuff, you're gonna have people that are, that are gonna get up in arms about everything any, at any given moment. So this is just more justification for the, some of the Snyder sycophants to just go, oh. It's like they should have just kept the Snyderverse because they're they're are the are the Snyderverse is still kind of continuing because it. I, I mean, I understand as a natural reaction, moving that garbage aside to, to, to the Henry Cavill stuff, because it's like, it is hard not to see Henry Cavill, Cavill getting shafted on some levels, because it's like, Oh, you can announce that you're back. I'm announcing that I'm back. Oh, we have a new head of DC and guess what? He doesn't want you back. So you're not back. It's, it is kind of crappy. And then if they end up keeping, I mean, it, it's, we, none of us believe they're going to keep Ezra. So that means they're only going to keep anyway. <laughs> I think it's safe to say they won't keep Ray Fisher. So then you have pretty much just Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa as the only real carryovers. And it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have an issue with her carrying over. Uh, and who knows? Shazam technically could carry over if they wanted to. We know that. Uh, I, I, it's a mess. So on that level, on that level, it's a mess. And I don't, and it would bother me less if Jason Momoa wasn't just so completely not Aquaman. Mm-hmm. that it would be easier to accept if he was like perfect if he was at least as physically perfect for aquaman as technically henry cavill was for superman then it'd be easier to accept that they were they didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater but i mean even gal gadot isn't physically perfect for wonder woman she's attractive and she i think she brings gravitas to the role even though she's not the best actress but still she's she's good she's and grace that. and grace yes so I can understand why they want to keep her presence there. And people always like when she shows up. People like when she showed up in The Flash. People like to Shazam 2 cameo, things like that. So I, I get it. But but it's also a character that would make perfect sense to recast because she's not, you know, she's nowhere near over the hill, but she's not a spring chicken anymore either. So she's going to start aging out and being as far as she's going to be. No, I think you can arguably make the case she you already can start seeing some aging and and her just like. And it's going to happen because it does happen. It's like the same way we know we know Scarlett Johansson. By the time she did the prequel, Black Widow looked absolutely nothing like she did in Iron Man Two. You know, she was so much visibly younger in Iron Man Two. That that's just what happens. And plus, she's a character that's not supposed to age. She she may not be Wolverine, but she's supposed to age. You know, in a very similar fashion as in slowly. So that's that kind of gets dicey too on that level. But yeah. Yeah, I figured we'd talk about it because it was trending today and all that. So, all right. If people want to reach out to us and give us their thoughts on all these varying subjects, how do they do so? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag geocast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a little bit longer, Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on all platforms that you listen to us on. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a text or a voicemail, 708 lantern and let us know what you think all right good night everybody good night